there seems to be those moments in life where we find ourselves on a path. And that path can often look pretty daunting. And that path can also seem impossible. And we wonder to ourselves, should we just hop off the path and make our own way? About a month ago, my cousin Troy and I, we went out and decided we were going to tackle our first 14er. And so we went up to tackle Gray's Peak and Tory's Peak, tried to do a two-for-one. And there was a point where we get to a higher elevation and everything turns to snow and we look at this path and we start to think, man, that's going to be pretty steep. And it's hard to see, but you can see it start to zigzag and that path zigzags if you've ever done that hike. It zigzags the entire way up the mountain. And, and, you know, there's almost this temptation to think that that is going to take so long, which it did. It's like eight and a half hours, hiked like nine miles round trip, to think I ought to just trudge my own path and get off the trail and just go straight up. Well, it's not until you get to the top where you realize how important that path is. Here's a, actually a picture of us at the top of Tories. We made it. It's beautiful. Uh, you could see for miles and miles, and uh, it was a, it, such a fun, a fun day. But the only reason we made it is because we stayed on the path. If we would have veered off the path or tried to make our own path, we would have got hurt, got tired, had altitude sickness, something would have happened, and we wouldn't have made it. So there is value in staying on the path. The challenge we have sometimes, though, is that we have followed the wrong path. So I think all of us in life, whether you admit it or not, whether you realize it or not, you're following a path. And maybe that's the path of friends or it's the path of culture. It's the path that your family led out before you. Maybe you're following the path that God has put before you or there's another path, it's career, whatever it is. And a lot of times those paths, are, they can be good paths. It's just often not the path to take you where you really wanna go. And sometimes what can happen is without even realizing it, the path you're on, doesn't just lead you to a dead end. The path you're on gets covered and you end up being led off the trail. We've got a really good friend named Graydon here at Forefront. And Graydon was sharing a story with our men's group about a month ago, spending some time out, hiking out near Evergreen. And it could have been a few mile hike, nothing too crazy, but it started to snow during the hike. And as Graydon was coming back down, the, the path got covered by snow. And what he thought was the path that he came up on, he followed a different path down the mountain. At, at some point, I think Graydon realized that this isn't the path I took. It's taken me off in another direction, but there's no cell signal. It's getting dark. The path's been covered by snow. And the next thing he knew that it was pitch black outside and he was walking, trying to find his way back to the trailhead, not finding it. He came to a point where he had to make the decision what he's going to do. And under the moonlight with snow around, he, dug it, he found an embankment where he could stay the night. The next day, he continued to walk and he continued to walk. And praise God, God gave him the strength just to keep going, to keep fighting, to keep looking for the path. And he, he eventually, after walking, I think, for miles and miles that next day, stumbled upon a home and a car it could get him to Evergreen where they could get a hold of the police and help bring him home. It is a story of God's faithfulness because so many people have been caught in that situation and didn't make it. And man, so glad that God was there. As Graydon loves to say, God is undefeated. 
But I asked Graydon if I could share that story and how many hours he spent out. He spent 26 hours outside. And then he walked for more than 20 miles to find safety. And it's so easy for us in life to follow a path and that path either dead ends or it gets covered up by something else and something the world or culture or somebody else is telling us to, to, to follow. And we end up being taken off the wrong path. And, and I almost wonder, you know, in life, whatever that path is, it's money, it's success, it's career, it's, it's family, it's friends, it's culture, whatever that, that path is, we just accept that. Do we just realize that we, we're always trying to journey from one path to another, but it never really gets us there, it never really helps us find, it's just the, kind of the lot in life? Or is there something more to this, this trail that we're on? In John chapter 1, we've been in a series called Come and See these past... <clears throat> several weeks, excuse me. And we've been seeing that Jesus is interacting with a group of, of, of guys that would later become his disciples. And these guys had lived in a culture that was waiting for God to straighten their path. One of the claim, famous verses in the Old Testament is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Some of you probably know it. It's trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. And so you have a, a group of of Jewish men and women who've been waiting their whole life for God to make the path straight, who've been waiting for this character that God promised that would come and become the king and make everything right. And then in John 1, we see this interaction that happens where we see a group of of people, Andrew, Simon Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel, they, they actually meet Jesus. And they're challenged with the question, is this the one that we were expecting to come? Is this the one who's going to make our paths straight? And so there's this exchange I want to pick up here in, in John chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, grab those. John chapter 1, picking back up in verse 35. I want to see how it really all flows together again. Notice what happens. So the next day, again, John, John the Baptist, he was baptizing he was standing there with two of his disciples. One of them we know is Andrew. The other one we think was maybe the apostle John. And he looks at, Jesus walked by and he says, behold, the lamb of God. So the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Verse 38 says that Jesus, he, he turned around and saw them following him. And he said, what are you seeking? And they said to him, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And in verse 39, he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. Verse 40 says that one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And and Andrew, in verse 41, says that he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah. We found the one that we're expecting to come make the path straight. We've found this this one that's going to save and be the king. And in verse 42, it says he brought him to Jesus. And then look at verse 43. This is where I want to camp for a moment. It says this. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Somebody say, follow me. See, now we we live in a, a culture where it's relatively easy to follow things, right? I think you can follow Taylor Swift, just buy her at CD. Buy a little Swifty t-shirt, you know, watch Chiefs games, right? You can follow Taylor Swift really easily. If you, have, if you, if you hit the lotto, you can go to her concerts, right? You can afford a ticket. You, you can follow a sports team by buying a jersey, buying a hat, enduring the suffering 
whatever it is, like it's pretty easy to follow in our day. And, and the reality is all of you guys are following something, like, right? Like you might be into cars, you might be into, into boats, fishing, you might be into fashion, whatever it is. You're following something. See, in Jesus' day, this call that Jesus gets from Philip, it's, it's different. When Jesus says, follow me, it's bigger. There's something bigger going on here. There's this bigger commitment that's going on here. See, I, I want you to miss this. It's, in Jewish culture, this was, there's this relationship. We don't really see as much in our culture. It was the relationship between a rabbi and his disciple or a teacher and, and his disciple. And often what a Jewish rabbi would do is a Jewish rabbi would be approached by uh, younger students who felt that they were gifted and called and their family wanted to push them towards religious ministry. And so if you were like a 13-year-old Jewish male and you felt like you had the gifts to become a rabbi someday, you would approach uh, maybe the rabbi in your town or a famous rabbi in Jerusalem and you would say, Rabbi, can I be your disciple? And that rabbi, if he felt that you met his criteria, would say yes. And then you would go to with that rabbi on teaching, you know, on, on tours, and you would maybe spend 30 days at a time with him, and then you go home, and you come back, and there would be this relationship. And then you would be under the tutelage of that rabbi until you're age 30. And at age 30, at often, if you made it that far, that's when you would become your own, a rabbi of your own, or a scribe, or some kind of a lawyer. So that was kind of the culture and what was interesting about it, that there was this commitment. When you were going to follow this rabbi in Jewish culture, there was a commitment of time and energy and presence. Very different than how we follow things today. Now, I want you to know what's interesting. Go back to this text in John 1. Notice this, that Jesus is the one that calls the disciples to follow him. They weren't asking, Jesus, can I follow you? Jesus says, hey, I want you to follow me. And also, he's calling a group of guys who aren't really in the pursuit of religious leadership. These guys, I mean, we think John was maybe 15, 16, 17, but we think the other guys were a little bit older. Most of them are fishermen. These guys weren't, they weren't the elite, right? These guys weren't, they didn't have Harvard on their schools where they were going to send their transcripts to after college, right? These guys were, were, um, were, were tradesmen, which is really important. Is really important work. We think Philip is probably a, a, also a fisherman. Nathaniel, probably also a fisherman. So something powerful here has happened. I want you to notice this. Jesus doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Jesus doesn't wait for you to come to him. Jesus comes to you. You might say, I don't, I don't know. I don't really ever feel like Jesus ever came to me. I don't, I don't really feel like Jesus ever come and asked me to follow. And I would say that he most certainly has or is or is currently working through somebody else in your life to call you to follow him today. Maybe that's why you're here. So this is interesting, this whole idea of following Jesus, it tells us something about Jesus. And, and this is one of the things that I, I pick up initially is that Jesus' invitation to follow is to leave your old life behind. If you're taking notes, I've got a point here for you to write down. If Jesus' invitation to, to follow is just this call to Leave your old life behind. I want you to notice this. These, these, these guys that he's calling, they're, they're kind of stuck in their way. They got, Peter's got a family. Some of these guys are young and living at home still, but they got working jobs and all these different things. And Jesus is actually calling him, them to do something more than to just be a fan. He wants them to truly follow. I, I think a lot of scholars think that this exchange that Jesus has with his disciples, this is the first time he meets them. And so John 1, he meets him for the first time. And, but then we see the other gospels, Mark, Luke, and Matthew, tell us a, a different um, 
account of when Jesus meets them. So we think this is probably the second time Jesus has met them. Notice this in Luke chapter 5. It says that on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in, so Jesus is speaking, large crowds are starting to come and listen to him. Jesus goes to the Sea of Galilee. Jesus understood sound travel and decided to stand at the water. He realizes the crowd's getting in on him, and there's a little hill, so he gets on a boat. It happens to be Simon's boat, Simon Peter, who he already met. Pushes back from the water, and Jesus starts to teach. And the crowd is listening, and it just happens to be that Andrew, James, John, and uh, Philip, and Nathaniel, and all these guys were right there who Jesus had already met and told to follow. And now they're listening to him, and he's teaching. He's teaching all these amazing things about God. He's teaching parables about what the kingdom of heaven. And then it, we go on to see that as he's in the boat of Simon Peter's, as the crowd leaves, he says to Peter, he says, hey, put out in the water. Let's go catch some fish. And Peter's like, well, we fished all night long. We didn't catch anything. But since my brother Andrew thinks that you're the Messiah, we're going to go ahead and put out into the water. So they push out into the water. They throw their nets to the side, and they catch so many fish, the boat is going to sink because the nets are starting to break. So they call John and James, come over, help us, help us, help us. So they come over there. And these are the guys, remember, that Jesus had met, that they're like, could this be the Messiah? And now he's revealing to him. The answer is yes. So John and James, they come over there. They help Andrew and Peter, and they're getting all the fish in. They get to the shore, and Peter is freaked out at this point. Notice verse 8. It says this, that when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down on his knee, saying, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. He's He's looking at, God, at Jesus like, oh my gosh, man, you truly are the Messiah. I am a mess. You should leave right now. Don't even look at me. Like, I'm, just, I'm a mess. And then they were just astonished, verse 9. See, it's really all here. You know, Peter, he, he, he sees his brother Andrew says, follow, this is the Messiah. Jesus tells these guys, follow me. But it's really here when Peter sees, wow, he is him. Like, he, this is the Son of God. This is the Messiah. So it's in this moment that he falls on his knees and he basically cries out like, oh my gosh, you are the Messiah. And then notice, I want to show you Luke 5 and then Mark 1, 7. Notice this exchange that uh, both of the, the authors of the gospels kind of recount it differently for us. Uh, this is one conversation kind of explained to us. And it says this, so Jesus says to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And I like how Mark says it. He says, Jesus called out to them and said, come and follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And notice this, and they finally left their nets at once, and they followed him. Have you ever read, the, if, if you grew up in church, or maybe Sunday school, and you read the Gospels, and you see it says that Jesus walks up to the disciples, and he says, hey, follow me, and they drop everything and go. And you're like, man, was this like some mystical spell or something, you know? Did he have some ribs, right? He had some, some burn-in, some brisket. He's like, come on, follow me, guys. I got some lunch. But I think this brings more into more light, right? Like they met Jesus and then they see Jesus do this miracle and they're all like, oh my gosh, yeah, I'm gonna follow you. You're the one we've been waiting to make our path straight. And they leave their boats and they, John and James tell their dad Zebedee, peace dad, we'll catch you later. And they go and they follow Jesus. Jesus' invitation is to come and to follow. Get this guys, Jesus' invitation is not to buy a hat. It's not to download an album. Jesus' invitation is to follow. And that means it's to leave your old life behind. This is what Jesus is calling you to do. Is it drastic? Yeah. Is it a big commitment? Yeah. Is it worth it? 100%. And you see in the lives of these guys how Jesus changes their life because they follow. Now, 
One of the interesting things, though, and let's be honest, when somebody like Jesus calls you to follow and you realize how big of a commitment, that is really difficult. It's really hard to leave. Just imagine somebody came up to you in your daily life and goes, hey, follow me. And you're like, what does that mean? They're like, it means you have to quit your job. And it means you have to come like live in a tent, right? Van down by the river and follow me, right? Like actually live with me. You're going to be like, man, that's crazy. I got all kinds of things I got to do first, right? I got to file my taxes. I got to pay my bills. I got to email my grandma because she's going to worry, right? Grandma, we always worry. There's all these things you got to do. Well, I want you to see this happens, right? Jesus doesn't, this isn't a surprise to Jesus. He understands. Notice Luke 9. These are, these are really cool, these exchanges that Jesus has. So, so Jesus and his disciples are now doing their ministry. They're out walking. They're out healing people. They, Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God, and he comes across people, and he calls them, follow me. And notice the excuses that he gives. I want you to ask the question, have you ever given this excuse to? Look at Luke 9, 59. Jesus says to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus says to him in verse 60, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. First time I read that verse, I was like, dang, Jesus, that is hardcore. Like, I get the feeling like this guy's dad just died, right? He's like at the mortuary, the family's there waiting, and Jesus is like, you don't even need to go to the funeral. That's not what's going on, though. Jesus is compassionate. Jesus doesn't tell you to skip funerals, okay? What's really going on here is this man's like, hey, so my father's getting older, and when he passes away, I'm going to get his inheritance. I'll get the ranch. I'll get the farm. I'll get the house. So let all that happen. Jesus, let me get what's coming and let me get all that squared away. And then Jesus, I'll come and follow you then. Get it? Anybody ever said that? Oh man, I tell you, when I'm out of college, Jesus, I'm done having fun. I'll follow you then, right? What are my buddies gonna say if I say I can't go because I'm going to church? Jesus, I'll follow you after I get married. Then I'll really focus on, you know, honestly living and integrity with my sexuality. I'll, I'll do that then when I'm getting married, Jesus, but not yet. And Jesus goes, if not when, then now. Or if, if, not, if not now, then when, right? There's always going to be something else that you can say, if I push pause on, I'll, I'll decide it later. There's always going to be something else that comes. So Jesus says, if you don't put me first, you never will. And that's a reality for our life too, guys. I, I just, I, you know, newsflash, if you don't put Jesus first now, you never will. It's not going to be next month. It's not going to be next year. Oh, I'm going to do it when I turn 40. You won't. You'll find something else to spend your money on. You'll find somewhere else to go. You'll find something else that makes you feel good. So there's another guy, verse 61. Notice this. Jesus says to another one, follow me. And he says, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. So Jesus says, well, no one who puts the hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. What, what, what this guy's basically saying is, well, Jesus, let me go first talk to my family about following you. And Jesus is like, look, you can't move forward if you're always looking backwards. And some of us know that in our lives. We can't truly follow Jesus if you're always looking back going, man, I wish I was still living that way, man. I wish I was still doing that thing. Man, I wish my life was still like it was back in my 20s or 30s or 40s. Jesus says, you can't follow me if you're always looking backwards. And what Jesus is calling us to is hard. I want you guys, somebody say, life is hard. You got to decide which hard you want. There's just reality in life. Like it's either really hard now and easy later or easy now and hard later. You want to eat bad now, someday you're going to pay for it. You want to eat really good now, someday you're going to be healthy, right? So which hard do you want? Do you, do you want to throw away that old comfortable sweatshirt? 
I love that sweatshirt. Those old comfortable flip-flops, those feel good, right? It's hard to let go of old things, but what Jesus is saying is choose the heart that's good for you. And what's good for you is following me because what Jesus has for us is so much more. You know, one of the questions that always has stirred in my mind, and I wonder, has it stirred for you, is this question. Why am I here? Anybody ever ask that question? If you don't put your hand up, you're a liar. I'm just going <laughs> to Why am I here? Like, what's my purpose? What is life all about? This is the question. Just go back and read Kant. Go back and read um, Plato or Kierkegaard or any of these guys. Nietzsche. It's all this question. I'm trying to figure out, like, why am I here? What? What's going on? What is life truly all about? And I think you and I ask it, and we often settle on the idea that what life is about is me being happy or comfortable or satisfied or content in the things of this world. And then yet we wonder why we're so stressed and anxious and depressed and lonely. It's because we've been chasing after these things to fill the cup that aren't actually what our Heavenly Father wants for us. What your Heavenly Father wants for you is so much bigger. I love Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 28 through 30 is, I think, one of the most impactful verses in the Bible. And, and I don't have it on the screens, but I just if you know Romans 8, it says this, for God causes all things to work together for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. For those that God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. I want you to see what this means. I, I love what, oh, there it is. I love what Eugene Peterson, how he kind of paraphrases this in the message. Notice what Eugene Peterson says about this. It brings it to this beautiful light. He says this. He says that God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. When did he know? From the very what? He didn't just figure it out. He knew from the beginning. God is all-knowing, all-powerful, omniscient, omnipresent. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. You see what that is? That Jesus came and lived a life on earth to reveal God to us. And then now Jesus calls us to live like him because his life demonstrates to us what our life should be like. His life shows us that the good life, the rich life, the deep life, the abundant life, the full life is living a life like Jesus did, loving people like Jesus did, caring for people like Jesus did, honoring God like Jesus did, praying to God like Jesus did. And so notice what Eugene Peterson goes on to say. He says, the son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. After God made the decision of what his children should be like, he followed it up by calling people by name. After he called them by name, he set them on a solid basis with himself. And then, after getting them established, he stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what he had done. Guys, don't miss this. What God says is that what he wants for you in your life is to look more like Jesus. That the life you were created to live, God demonstrates that in the life that Jesus lived, in the way that Jesus loved, in the way that he gave himself up for others, in the way that he calls us to do those same things. And so Jesus wants your life to look more and more like him. And that's why Jesus calls you to follow him. And that's why it means that your old life looks different. And that's why it's a big challenge, because it's a huge commitment. 
One of the realities that I think exists in the world is that a lot of us, through different seasons of life, have experienced some really ugly things at the hands of Christians. Some of us have been a part of a church that we left and we didn't walk back in for a long time because Christians in that church did something to hurt us or to judge us us, or to wound us. And there is a very large group of people in this country who grew up in church or spent little time in church and has walked away. Call them de-churched or unchurched. Has walked away from the church and they say, look, if that's how Christians are, I don't want to be around them. If that's what the, the church is supposed to be like, I don't want to be a part of it. And let's be honest. The church is full of broken people. And Jesus says, I came to save sinners. If the church is full of broken people, that means the church is full of hurt people. And hurt people hurt people. So the question I, I want to ask, and the challenge I want to have is, who are you following? Because we're not called to follow other broken people. We're called to follow Jesus. We're not necessarily called to follow church leaders. We're called to, to follow Jesus. We're not called to follow the church. We're called to follow Jesus. Now, Paul does say, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. And so there is this challenge that we should attempt and follow Jesus. But when we fall down, when we mess up, we're, we apologize, we show grace, we show love. We do all these things because we know we're broken and we fall. We, we are far from what God wants us to be, but thank God we're all in process, amen? That we are all being shaped inside to be more like Jesus in the way we live our lives. But when we're following someone else who isn't Jesus, they're gonna let us down always. And a lot of our church hurt, I think, has been the result of following the wrong person. And so if you walk in these doors and you're like, I haven't been in church in a long time because the church is ugly and messy and full of hypocrites, the answer is it is. It's very ugly and messy and full of hypocrites. But you know who isn't ugly or who isn't messy or who isn't a hypocrite? Jesus. Jesus. Who is it? Jesus. That's right. It's Jesus. And he is the one who calls us to follow him. So I want you to see this invitation to Jesus. This is huge. This is a huge invitation. Because Jesus' invitation to follow to follow is to become his apprentice. Somebody say apprentice. It's kind of a fun word to say, right? Apprentice. If you work in the trades, you immediately know what an apprentice is. Anybody ever been in an apprenticeship? Anybody ever been an apprentice? Anybody ever saw the show Apprentice? <laughs> the Apprentice? You're hired. Anyways, but it's this relationship when you put yourself under the guidance of someone else, right? My nephew, he's a junior in high school, and he wants to go into welding. So I looked up, what does the welding apprenticeship program looks like? look like? And it says this, that it's 144 hours of classroom work, and then 6,000 to 8,000 hours of apprentice work. It's a lot of hours. It's three to four years of being an apprentice, not getting paid much, working long hours, watching somebody else teach you how to do it so that you can learn to do it. Elect, to be an electrician... Electrical apprenticeship is 8,000 hours, so four years and almost 300 hours of classroom work. So notice, that's three to four years working under someone else to learn. Hmm, that's interesting. If you guys grew up in the church and know your Bibles, how many years did the disciples follow Jesus? Three years, right? So there's this, this, this idea that, you, you know, to follow Jesus, you have to follow. You have to be with him. But here's our problem. Too many of us, we think that we can say yes to Jesus and follow Jesus and then just kind of show up when we want to, occasionally go to church, pop open our Bible every now and then, say a prayer when we got a family member that's sick. And then we wonder, 
well, why is my life still, why am I still struggling with all these same things? Why do I not desire more godly things? Why is my life still just as messy as it was before? Which it may always be messy, but Jesus gives us the strength to handle that mess. And could it be that we haven't truly followed Jesus? If we're supposed to spend time with Jesus to learn, understand, and become his apprentice, if we don't spend any time with him, how can we expect to be any different? What was it that Albert Einstein said? Doing things the same thing but expecting a different result is the definition of? As believers, if we say yes to Jesus, but we don't actually give our lives to him, we don't become his apprentice, and we don't follow him, it's kind of insane, isn't it? Does that mean it's actually going to change us? And I think a lot of us, we feel dry, we feel empty, and we feel down. And it's because we have not been following. We have not been spending time, and we have not truly been letting the beauty of who Jesus is wash over us and to change us. Just like any apprenticeship program, guys, to spend time. You have to spend time. You have to follow what they do. You have to emulate what they do. And you have to emulate their lifestyle. What Jesus is calling us to do. What he says to Philip in verse 43 of John 1, it's the same thing he's calling you to do right now. It's this. It's to live life differently. Follow me. It's not buy a hat. It's not put a poster on your wall. It's to live life differently. And it's a huge call. You know, here's the reality, guys. If you believe that what Jesus says is true, if you believe what Jesus says about sin is real, if you believe what Jesus says about life is true, then how can you live the same way you lived before? And this is, I'm not saying this to you. I'm saying this to me. This is a struggle that we're all walking through. This is the journey that we're all on. We're never gonna nail it. We're never gonna be perfect at it. We're always gonna be in progress and process. But the challenge is that Jesus is calling us to something better. He's calling us to a, a different kind of life, a life that can truly experience joy and peace and happiness and contentment and all the good things that God has for us. And does it seem hard? Yes. Is it going to be hard? Absolutely. But is it worth it? 100%. Following Jesus leads to a life lived differently. Last month, I was at the U.S. Olympic Museum. Anybody been down there in the Springs? A couple of you. It's really, really cool. Yeah, super cool. So we're at the museum for an event, and um, at, at the museum, they had all of these, you know, just different kind of uh, exhibits for different U.S. track and field records, Paralympic records. And I came across the, long, the U.S. Olympic long jump record. Now, some of you guys might remember this Olympics. It was 1968. It was Bob Beeman. And he, here's, here's a picture of Bob skying through the air. Bob jumped 29 feet, two and a quarter inches. Like, I'm five foot eight, okay? So that's like... Six of me, like laying down on the stage, right? Like that's a ridiculous jump. Now you guys might look at that and, and, and we were at the exhibit, right? So we're standing there and it was Brian Rhodes and a couple other guys, we we're down there. And we're, we're looking at this exhibit and I'm like, well, how far is that? So I, you know, kind of do the pace, right? I did it just like that too, like the robot walk. It was 10, 10 paces, 10 paces. So I, I can't jump 30 feet like Bob Beeman did in 1968, but I can take 10 steps. And I think a lot of us in life, we see that Jesus calls us to follow and we go, man, 
Jesus, you're calling me to something that I can't do. That path looks scary. That path looks long. That path looks hard. I can't do that. You want me to, to look more like your life? You want me to live differently and give up my old life? And you're wanting me to, to be your apprentice? Jesus, I can't do all these things. That's impossible. But you know what Jesus is calling you to do? Is to literally take a step. He's not saying, come to me the whole way and then I'll let you in. He's not saying, make it all the way to holiness and then you can be my disciple. Jesus is saying, simply follow me. And that might be in two steps forward and three steps back. But at some point, it's one foot after the other, falling down and getting back up. And here's the beautiful thing. The Bible tells us that when Jesus saves you, when he rescues you, when you believe that he is the son of God, who died for your sins, rose from the grave, and you put your faith in that, it means that when Jesus looks at you, it doesn't matter how good of a day it was or how bad of a day it was. It doesn't matter how many steps backward you took. His love for you is the same. And that is good news. And all Jesus is truly calling you to do is to follow, to put one foot after another. So let me close with this. What does this look like for us? How do we become his apprentice? We're all following something. How do we follow him? And I, I just want to end with these, these kind of quick takeaways. The first one is this, that we spend time with Jesus every day. Like, like any apprentice program, we, we spend time with him. This, the second one is that we have to watch how Jesus lived. It means we, we spend time in his word. We see how he interacted with people. We pay attention. We don't just read it to check the box. Reading it doesn't make you more holy. What makes you more holy is knowing Jesus and growing in relationship with him. But reading it is how we get to know him better. We spend more time praying and spending time with him. We spend more time in his word, reading about how he interacted with people and the things that he said. And then we put into practice what Jesus did. Jesus served people. Jesus loved people. And there's a challenge you're gonna have today is you guys can walk out in that lobby and talk to Pastor Mitch and say yes to serving like Jesus did. And ultimately, it's embracing Jesus' way of life. Jesus said, the world will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. And so as the church, being people that love each other, like Jesus loved us, shines the light of Jesus in a dark, dark place. And one of the beautiful things is true. When we do this, when we pursue Jesus, when we spend time with him, when we watch how Jesus lived, when we emulate his life, we put into practice what he did, we are truly trusting in Jesus with all of our heart and not leaning on our own understanding. And as Jesus says, as God says, when we acknowledge him in all ways, church, he will make our paths straight. So let's let him straighten our paths. Let's stay on the path by one, putting one foot after another and following the one who gave everything 